This is an audio version of an Abolish Milwaukee article. The article is called September Parole Commission Notes and was published on September 9th of 2021. It is part of an ongoing series where we attend the monthly staff meetings of the Parole Commission and make notes available to the public and to captives held under the old law, those sentenced before 2000. September's meeting was on Wednesday the 1st. It was attended by Commission Chair John Tate II, all three commissioners, and two records associates. The public portion was about 20 minutes long, and there was a no-action case they discussed in closed session afterward. Gradual change. Tate started the meeting similarly to the last few meetings, bringing up a few tweaks that suggest he is making gradual changes to the parole commission process. First, he indicated that parole commissioners should use third-person rather than first-person language when describing their choices. So rather than saying, for example, I recommend a two-month defer, they should say the commissioner recommends a two-month defer. Tate said this better indicates that there are that these are the agency's choices, not individuals. Second, he described needed changes to WICS, the online form the commission uses to keep track records of their activities. He said he is working to create new drop-downs, like multiple choice options, that are more accurately, quote, reflect what we do and how we describe what we do, end quote. The first example he brought up was people who are being, quote, paroled to TIS, This refers to someone who has multiple sentences, one under the old law and one under the truth in sentencing law. This should only happen if someone was convicted of a crime after 2000 while already serving a sentence from prior to 2000. The fact that Wix doesn't have a drop-down for this situation suggests that people in this situation may not have been granted or seriously considered for releases by previous commission chairs. It's another small indication that Tate is doing better than his predecessors. Unfortunately, Tate's statements also suggest that his progress may be overstated. Another drop-down example Tate raised is, quote, deferred due to insufficient time for punishment, end quote. He said that he would get rid of that category and replace it with something else, like, quote, deferred due to insufficient time to depreciate the seriousness of the offense, end quote. He said this language better reflects the standards used by the commission today. The language change indicates a desire for a culture shift away from seeing the purpose of incarceration as retribution and toward deterrence. In practice, that change is likely superficial. Generally, insufficient time for punishment has been the catch-all used by commissioners to avoid seriously considering an individual's case because there's nothing a parole applicant can do in response or to improve their chances. Deferring someone based on fear of depreciating the seriousness of the offense also leaves that person with no action that they can take to change the situation. So this change is merely semantic. Either deferral rationale has the same effect in practice. A penological theory tangent. The language of, quote, depreciating the seriousness of the offense is also bullshit. It's part of sentencing guidelines that judges use and one of the common justifications for punishment. Like most mainstream peniological theory, it is based on specious logic. 
The idea is that public knowledge of harsh prison sentences will deter people from violating laws. In reality, most people who violate the law are either expecting to not get caught or are not thinking rationally about their actions. Most crimes, especially violent crimes, are situational. They're committed in the context of severely impaired judgment and risk assessment due to substance abuse, addiction, emotional distress, or mental illness. Other times, people commit crimes in the context of economic distress, where a lack of resources or better options makes risking punishment more acceptable. Considering that police are quite bad at solving crimes, especially nonviolent property crimes, and that economic opportunities are systematically denied to criminalize people living in low-income communities, a life of crime might be the more reliable and rational choice. It's not like going around begging for precarious low-wage employment or accumulating student loan debt are wonderful alternatives. In 2016, the Sentencing Project released a report on deterrence that indicated that, quote, increases in the certainty of punishment as opposed to the severity of punishment are more likely to produce deterrent benefits, end quote. In other words, the risk of being caught at all plays a larger role in risk assessment than the severity of the penalty for those who are caught. Even then, deterrence is a poor approach to public safety. Rather than addressing the situations that lead people to hurt others, threats of imprisonment and long sentences only make the situation scarier and more stressful. Someone who is afraid and feels trapped is not more likely to carefully assess, assess risks or to make good choices for themselves or their community. Regarding Tate's parole commission, everyone he's considering for release was sentenced before 2000. Each of them has already lost at least two decades of their lives to prison. Let's say someone is going before Tate with a double homicide on their record. When Tate refuses to grant that person a release because he doesn't want to, quote, depreciate the seriousness of the offense, end quote, he's basically telling them, Sorry, you need to serve more time, because if I let you off with only 20 or 30 years, everyone might start to think that I'm fine with people killing each other and start doing it more often. That's a completely absurd idea. People almost always commit murder while in the heat of interpersonal conflict, the turmoil of emotional crisis, or because something else has gone suddenly and horribly wrong. In which of those scenarios does John Tate Imagine someone pausing to think about how serious the parole commission considers the offense and being deterred. Secondly, everyone going before the commission was sentenced by judges who have already considered this depreciating the seriousness of the offense nonsense when determining their sentence and parole eligibility date. By deferring someone for this reason, Tate is saying that the sentencing judge was too lenient. Again, Everyone going before the commission was sentenced before 2000, most of them in the late 80s or 90s during the height of the tough-on-crime culture that fed the mass incarceration boom. Tate cannot simultaneously think these judges were too soft and also consider himself a reformer or opponent of mass incarceration. Deferring someone based on depreciating the seriousness of the offense is a categorically pro-prison decision. Only a stalwart fan of America's racially targeted mass incarceration practices would do such a thing. 
pardons update. A further tangent. Unsurprisingly, Tony Evers also believes in this twisted logic when it comes to pardon consideration. On Tuesday, September 7th, he issued a new executive order stating that his pardon board may skip a hearing and more quickly recommend pardons, but only for cases where, among other factors, quote, sufficient time has elapsed to preclude the depreciation of the severity of the applicant's offense or offenses, end quote. This order, not coincidentally issued a day after we published a video publicly shaming him for inaction on pardons, does not expand his viciously restrictive pardon criteria to include anyone currently imprisoned or on supervision. It is nothing like what we demanded of him, so we will continue to confront, shame, and demand better. Neither the governor's original order creating the Pardon Advisory Board nor his pardon application included any language explaining why Evers chose to limit consideration to those who completed their sentence more than five years ago, but the logic is consistent with depreciating the serious severity of the offense. No matter how deserving an individual may be of mercy, forgiveness, or redemption, the blanket justification that leniency might somehow encourage others to commit violent crimes prevents Evers from even considering a pardon. It's a cop-out, a way for Governor Evers to wash his hands and shrug rather than acknowledging or addressing the myriad specific and intimate harms caused by his incarceration system. Hopefully these tangents are informative and helpful, but let's get back to the meeting. Commissioner Issues Tate then asked commissioners for feedback or questions. Commissioner Jennifer Kramer spoke about issues she was having with setting up Zoom meetings for people who are held out of state on interstate compact, which begs the question, before COVID, were interstate compact parole hearings being held on Zoom? Drug Drankowitz then brought up issues he was having with the, quote, new law and TIS combined cases, end quote, and, quote, reformulating the equation so if you released a TIS and it's a PMR, the PMR review would occur two months before, end quote. This is too technical for, for me to follow, but like the Wix drop-down example Tate raised above, it suggests that the commission is handling cases where people have convictions before 2000 and after differently than they have in the past. If you or someone you know is in that situation, I would suggest writing to the Parole Commission or investing a little more hope or energy into your hearings. Drankowitz then brought up an interesting complaint. Apparently, at Racine CI, there is a guard who makes people who are on video calls keep their masks on. The video calls are conducted with the individual alone in a closed booth, so there's not a realistic COVID communication risk. Drinkowitz said that he can look over the parolee's shoulder and see people in the visiting room without masks on, but that the guard watching the booth is so vigilant that they've repeatedly interrupted hearings to tell the parolee to adjust their mask. Drankowitz has, in the past, expressed a weird belief that seeing a parolee's face is an essential part of the hearing process. He seems to think he's looking for poker tells or connecting with someone on a deep emotional level during a hearing. Anyway, 
The vigilant guard interrupting the hearing to enforce mass discipline sounds like a typical prison guard jerk on a power trip, and it was kind of funny to hear Doug Drankowitz, himself a real power tripper, complain about it. Tate said that he talked to RCI administration and addressed the problem. Public questions. Tate said he received three public questions. The first he read out loud. Quote, when an individual in custody receives a program endorsement, PRC, which is Program Review Committee, is using the mandatory release date to prioritize assignment, which puts old law individuals at the bottom of the list. Then, each time they come before the commission, they receive a deferral because the requirement to complete the program have not been met. How is an individual to receive parole? Question mark. End quote. Tate insisted that people are not necessarily put at the bottom of the list. He said there is a balance between old law and TIS given limited programming resources in the DOC. He said the commission will continue to endorse and advocate for people to be enrolled in programs and that he is communicating expectations to the PRC. He said, quote, I'm indicating our expectation that people will be at least enrolled in an endorsed program before the deferral period ends, end quote. He also said that a few things are shifting in a positive direction and that people are getting enrolled more quickly. As we discussed in previous parole meeting notes, the best thing for Tate to do in this situation is to require programming less often. The old law population are all older people. Most are past the age of desistance, meaning that they present a lower public safety risk. By requiring them to complete programs before release, Tate is adding strain on programming resources, which means denying programming to people sentenced under TIS who tend to be younger, higher risk, and who are going to be released regardless. If programs rehabilitate people or help public safety outcome, then Tate's choice to take up space and resources with low-risk old law people is having a negative impact on those public safety outcomes. Of course, requiring programs provides a pretext to keep a parolee stuck in the system, going up for hearings, and providing the parole commissioners with a reason to exist and continue earning $80,000 a year or more on their salaries. When asked about this directly in the past, Tate refused to acknowledge the question at all. The second question Tate did answer was, quote, when, the when does the chair look at reviewing a recommendation? End quote. He said that he, quote, looks at everything, PRC, conduct reports, anything the commissioner is considering, end quote. He said he corroborates or evaluates the resources commissioners are citing and that he might check a file transcript or review items that the commissioner didn't weigh into their decision. According to a letter from Harlan Richards, who has been incarcerated for more than 35 years and tracking the practices of the commission and the DOC extensively, quote, the practice of spending hours and hours reviewing files prior to a parole hearing is a new practice started by former commissioner and gross racist, Danielle Lacoste and her cronies for the express purpose of finding excuses to justify denying release on parole. Before truth in sentencing cut down the number of prisoners receiving parole hearings, most hearings did not last more than 15 minutes and dozens of prisoners received hearings by one commissioner 
in one day, end quote. The last question was regarding why it was taking so long for meeting minutes to be published on the DOC site. Records assistant Oliver Bocino explained that he now has access to post minutes directly to the website, so it should happen more quickly going forward. For myself, I would like to apologize for these notes coming out a full week after September 1st meeting. We at Abolish Milwaukee have been swamped with organizing for the Shut 'em Down 2021 mobilization. We hope to have a faster turnaround with parole notes in October and going forward. Thank you. Abolish MKE, news and analysis from a bad place. We write from an anti-authoritarian perspective on police, prisons, and more in the so-called state of Wisconsin. We will publish anything sent to us that conforms to our editorial standards for authenticity, conflict, and rigor. Please do not hesitate to contact us with any questions. Abolish MKE at protonmail.com.